Hey everyone, welcome to the State of Demand Gen podcast where we're going to mash together all the different content types, events, interviews, Demand Gen Live, when I'm a guest on a podcast, LinkedIn content, all here in audio format. If you haven't already, I would highly encourage you to sign up for the Demand Gen Live sessions that I'm putting together with Gatano Donardi at 7.30 p.m., 4.30 Pacific on Tuesday evenings. Tons of great content in there, lots of great insights, live Q&A, building a little community inside there. I'd highly encourage you to check it out. And now to this episode. And so I uh, we'll, we'll jump in and if people roll through. Um, that's great. If you guys have questions on your mind, feel free to drop them in the chat. We'll get to those pretty quickly. We will dive in. Um, and we're going to try, so, I'm going to try something a little different to begin with. Um, and so if you'll, you'll go with it and entertain, that would be awesome. So, um, across our client base, we, we manage, uh, about 11 B2B SaaS companies right now. And so the, um, I'm breaking into like three buckets, basically like you're, you sell a software for stadiums and you're getting crushed right now, or you're kind of in the middle, like you're not negatively impacted or positively impacted, or if you're like Nextiva or cloud communication, you're actually doing very well because of what's happening right now. Um, so if you could drop which bucket you fall into in the chat, and then also I'm interested in what the inbound flow is like month over month from March. And so what we're seeing across our base for the clients that are in the middle, um, not affected either positively or negatively have seen on average about a 15% drop in inbound flow with no real change to the mix. And I'm just curious what you all are seeing. And while people are doing that, um, would love to, to, uh, to kind of jump in here where there was a question last week that we didn't get to. I think we could chop it up here, which is to get started. So you're coming in, you're a new marketing leader and, what what does your first 60 to 90 days look like at a high level? I think it's a really cool question. So, and also for, for context, for some people, like maybe even if you're, you know, you've been in your company for two years, maybe it's a good time to kind of like take a step back and look like, look at it like you're new. And so we'll, uh, we'll dive in. I'll let you get started on, and then we'll kind of jump back and forth. Yeah. Oh, that is so great. That is so great. Um, for, for you guys that are here, I've, I've been at, uh, a lot of different types of companies, startups, venture backed, fast growth. And now my, the latest company I'm, I'm working with Nextiva cloud communication, large company, a thousand plus employees. And I'll tell you that my first 60 to 90 days at each company has been all very different. Uh, so I don't know if there's a one size fits all solution, but you know, I see Chris kind of saying, yup, that's right. Depends. Uh, but like, you know, for example, Nextiva cloud communication, tough industry, man. Like we're talking a hundred dollars plus, uh, cost per click on a lot of keywords. So the first thing that like, you know, I realized that I needed to do at Nextiva was actually understand the business like know the industry really well. Like I'm not going to be able to create great content. I'm not going to be able to support sales and drive the right kind of leads. If I don't know what the difference is between, um, cloud PBX and hosted VoIP. Right. And and like, it's crazy shit, but now I know a lot about this stuff. Right. So you have to learn that, like what kind of buyers are attracted to what kind of keywords, all these sorts of things. So at Nextiva, the first 60 days was really like the first 30 days was like product training, listening to sales calls, learning the business and building great rapport with all the people that I'm managing. 
that was, that was like the first 30 to 60 days there. Um, with uh, Sales Hacker, it was really interesting. I already knew B2B sales really well. So I didn't have much industry like catching up to do, but what I really needed to do actually was understand the audience better. So I spent my first two weeks interviewing uh, customers and people who subscribe to our newsletter. That's all I did. And I just had quite an in-person interviews and I just interviewed them nonstop. Like every day I've just packed my calendar with customer interviews and, um, uh, uh, fans, essentially people of uh, members of the community. And when I was at pipe drive, the, it was actually very apparent what needed to happen. Like the emergency was, we need to start ranking for shit now. <laughs> so just start executing. And I was like, all right, yeah, let's just do that. Let's just, let's figure out where are the keyword gaps, right? Let's see where competitors are crushing us. Let's figure out why content that we're creating sucks right? And let's just start fixing it. Let's just get right in there. Like I already know this industry pretty well too. Um, so in short, it all depends. Um, and you know, you kind of sometimes just have a gut feeling of what you should be doing. Uh, but there's no one size fits all answer. And with that, I will pause and let Chris, um, react to that. I got a follow up actually. So when you were with pipe driving and you were asked to just go in and execute straight away, um, would you do, would you do it like that again? If you have the choice, it's a really good question. Um, hmm. well, you know, actually it was interesting because I wasn't as proven as a marketer back then. We're talking about 2016. So because I had such hunger and desire to get in there and just start showing fast results, like like, yeah, like I'm hungry. Like I want to show them like, you know, I can do this shit. Uh, so, <laughs> so it depends on the frame of mind. Like right now, would I do that? No. Knowing what I know now? No, no I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But then, yeah. And, 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 you know, guys, like to, to kind of re to, to cap this all off, like I ended up fine. No matter which route I took, I ended up fine. Like <laughs> that's really what this all comes down to is, you know, I didn't say, okay, I'm going to do customer interviews first here, or I'm just going to listen to sales calls here. And oop, I fucked up. Like that's, you know, it really depends on what you, whatever you decide to do, stick with it, go big and like, just do it. Go, do it good. Be thorough. Whatever you decide to do, just do it well. So I'll pause there. Hell yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer this in a little bit of a different way. Cause I actually do have a framework having gone into several companies and, and done this a lot and made quite a few mistakes and learned from them and did some things that I really liked. And so I put together a little bit of a, um, a plan. This question was for Jimmy, by the way. And so if he's not on here, I'll make sure he gets it. Um, and so aside from all of the working with your team and getting to know people exclude those things. So just focus on your role. Um, the first thing that I always do is assess the current customer base. And so when I do that, I'll, I'll slice and dice it, try and figure out different ways to segment it. Um, and I'll try and break it up into, you know, whatever amount of sub segments there are. And then I'll pick the ones where we have the top three. So typically companies will have somewhere like three segments if you're selling somewhere, or you'll be able to find something that's unique about a certain percentage of them. Um, and then from there, once they're in the buckets, I will go and visit customers um, in those buckets and I will understand them and I'll try and understand the differences between if I segmented them in this way, are there differences between them? 
And then what I'll do is I'll take those exact same groups, but I'll go and talk to people that are non-customers that fall into those groups. And so then you've just talked in, in the, let's pretend you have three segments. Now you've just talked to five customers and five prospects in non-sales situations, critical to be in a non-sales situation because you get the truth and people feel comfortable telling you the truth. Um, and then I'll bring that all back. And typically with all of that information, you'll know more than most other people in the, in the marketing department from there. Um, and you might actually have a different opinion or approach than um, how sales is going to market, for instance. And maybe you have a unique or, you know, you find, you find a place where your product fits so well, everyone's so happy, um, but sales isn't going after them. And so then you can start to pivot and change your, change your message and different things like that. So um, those, are, those are some of the things and that, that process will take you, you know, if you do it really quickly, somewhere between 60 and 90 days. Um, and then once you've gone and talked to those 30 people and you understand the difference between a, how a customer thinks and a prospect thinks, you're very well equipped to go out and start executing. And you might have to do some things along the way to show results, right? Like run some ads and, and do th some things like that. But I've always found I was, I was in a startup and was forced to execute at the beginning. And after three months of executing, realized that I was driving leads that weren't closing. So I took a step back and I went and did that process. And I, and I learned why the leads weren't closing is because we were going after the wrong segment of customers that didn't see any value. It just happened to be the largest TAM for the sales team. And then you take a step back, you reposition, you refocus, you build the tools and the enablement, and then you go and do comms. So that's, that's the way that I've done it. Like, like Katano said, there's no right or wrong, but I do think that that framework um, can really set a good foundation for you to go out and then go and do communication or commute um, or comms. Or when you start your podcast, you have, you know, 30 people and they know people and then you can start to get guests. And so for all those reasons, I, I think that's a, a really cool way to approach it. Yeah, I like, I like that. I'll add one thing that's actually very important. And this, I, I do feel is a consistent thing that you should do no matter what. You need to record where you are today and then you need to figure out where you need to go. So like, and you need to do this by marketing channel. If you're going to, let's say you're going to lead demand generation at a company, you need to know where are you now for, for by channel, by marketing channel, what does baseline performance look like? And then you need to record that and then start looking at what that trend looks like, you know, month over month, right? Quarter over quarter. So for it's for SEO, right? Organic traffic, um, leads, leads that are attributed to organic sources, um, key keyword rankings for your most important commercial terms, um, for email, it's going to be the obvious ones. I'm not even going to go through those, right. For, for SEM and, and paid ads, you need to be looking at cost per conversion. You need to be looking at total cost uh, of campaigns, right? You need to look at landing page conversion rates. You need to like start recording baselines in all these areas of the business. And then three months from now, you know, for, for, for your SEM, you should be able to see um, cost per conversion. Is it going down or is it going up? What ad groups are, are profitable and which are not? Where do we need to cut? Where do we need to double down? SEO, what's working, what's not? Are we ranking better for our money terms or worse? Uh, is, total, is total keyword growth going up or down? Out of those total organic keywords, how does it break down from branded versus non-branded? Mobile, 
what the hell is happening there? <laughs> right? Like there's like Google now indexes mobile first. They don't even care about what your desktop uh, content rendering is like. If it doesn't render well on mobile, you're fucked. So that might be changing. You need to really get into the weeds in all these areas of the business from the marketing side and know what's going on under the hood. And you need to be able to, for not just to cover your own ass, but to cover the ass of your team. Right. And if, and if shit's broken, you need to start figuring out why. So, um, I'll, I'll pause there and kind of leave it there. Cause I feel like Chris is itching at the, at all no, the there's questions coming through and I'm itching to answer them. Um, so I'm, I'm cool to jump in if you are, um, by the way, anyone that's new, you can feel free to drop, drop a question in the chat. We are just going to roll through them and get to as many as we can. So let's do it. The first one is from Lori. Lori, I can read it or you can ask it, um, whichever you prefer. Um, yeah, I was just curious. You have a lot of uh, great content out there, Chris. And, uh, I noticed that none of it is shared on refined labs. So I was just curious if there was a strategy behind that. So the, sh the short answer is the company page LinkedIn, I think is something that we really want to figure out because I haven't seen anyone figure it out, right? Like even really big brands cannot seem to produce content and get the engagement at the level of personal profiles. Um, we've made a strategic choice to focus through my profile for a couple of core reasons. The first one is that I believe the algorithm over indexes personal profiles over company pages. I don't know that for sure. That's just a feeling. Um, the second one is that unlike um, personal pages, company pages, you can invite people to connect and therefore it's harder to create an audience. And when it's harder to create an audience, it's hard to get people to see your content and the people that see your content then amplify it to other people and it gets the snowball rolling so that you can grow fast. Um, and those are, those are the two. And so we are working to figure out, um, and we'll probably be launching this in, in May because we have a, a boatload of really great archive content that we've created. Um, and we're going to start to go hard and try and figure that out in the hopes that eventually Salesforce or HubSpot or somebody needs some help with it and we can help them. I think you can invite people to your company page now. I've been invited a few times in the last week. <clears throat> yeah, you can. You get up to like 25 per day. Maybe we'll work on that. But if they say no, you can't invite them again. Apparently, yeah. it's a very like you only get 25 and they better be the right people because if you get bad response, I think they kill it. They'll set to be an admin on that page. I get them quite a bit and I don't think I've accepted one of them. <laughs> they do arrive out of the blue. They don't feel they don't feel right yet anyway. Gee, you got any extra thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I get invited to follow company pages and <clears throat> I thought it was quite kind of just strange. And what I actually went what I actually ended up doing was going to my LinkedIn settings and turning off that capability. So there's, there's a toggle on and off switch to where you can say, um, I, I do not want companies to send me requests to follow their page. You know, if I want to, exactly David. Yeah. So if I want to follow a company page, it's because I really like that company. I don't want to be invited by some no name company that I never heard of before to follow them for what? <laughs> like, if you, if you are a representative of a company, right? Let's say like, I don't know, let's say like, uh, let's use Next, Nextiva as an example, the company I, I work for, right? Like I tagged the company page 
every so often in my posts. And I figured that, you know what, if people like the shit I'm talking about, they're going to be curious about the company. They'll check it out. If they like what we're doing, they'll follow, <laughs> you know, I don't have to you know, ask people to follow the company page. And even if I, if I was doing it, like, so what, like what's going to happen? <clears throat> you know, like measuring the followership growth of the company page month over month is, you know, it's a vanity metric at the end of the day. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Cool. I am scrolling through tons of, tons of comments going on here and we are searching for some questions. So we had a follow-up from Julian, which was um, in regards to what I said about segmenting um, customers. It was, how do you segment uh, your market? And so the, uh, there's, a, it really depends on your company, but there's a couple different ways. Like there's demographic, like people's age, job title, things like that. Firmographic for company information. So either um, what tech stack or there's that's technographic. Sorry. They made another one, what tech stack they use or different places like that. I tend um, to really like a combination of firmographic and psychographic um, and starting to think like more, more traits on whether the company is innovative or not, or whether they are looking to go in a certain direction. So more trying to get into understanding that side of it. Um, but in general, like you're going after hospitals, they either have a level one trauma center, or they don't, they either have this or they don't. Um, you're going after machining facilities. They either have these types of machines or they don't, or they're serving this industry or they're not. And gee, I'm sure you got some other, other ways to slice and dice it, but those are a couple ideas. Do you mind, do you mind if I ask a follow-up question, Chris? Yeah, yeah go for it. Go for it. You ever like? Why would you not? Um, why would you not? Let's say you have a big database, whatever the size is. Why would you not, for example, look at the top 100 customers, however you define that, and and then reverse engineer it and say, where do those fall? Like, what do they have in common or not in common? I'm not. I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong. I'm just. Yeah, thinking, totally. This is something totally. that I've been trying to figure out a lot, and I. I never. Seen, there's just a lot of different ways to do it. So, uh, in the example that I had, um, it, it's kind of. It's. It's. I don't think that there's. Uh, we took two different paths to the same outcome. I feel like I might have actually taken the approach that you said and just misspoke. Um, but in general, like. Yeah, if you take your customers and you try and figure out, okay, what's like these people and not like these people. So for some, it's it's really easy. Um, like we were going after the market was senior living communities, and in senior living there are dementia care, assisted living, or like independent living, and the the difference is where they are in the health scale. Um, and the biggest market was independent living. However, what I discovered is that the product was mainly being used for people with dementia. Um, but we didn't recognize the company hadn't recognized that when I was there. And so then I had to figure out, okay, which of these facilities treat people with dementia and it ended up being two of the segments. Um, so I think it's more just look at the data and follow it. And typically you'll find, consistencies makes sense sometimes it's sometimes it's obvious sometimes it's a little not so obvious hey chris i have uh time for one more and yeah, then let's do it i'm going to pass the mic to uh to joshua giardino he'll fill in for me because yeah. uh, i uh so so for everyone on the call i i 
I, so I'm on the East coast. Um, my company's on the West coast and there is a, um, five o'clock meeting that I need to go to, which is eight o'clock my time in 10 minutes. So I only have time for one more. And then, uh, Joshua Giardino is going to take over for me, but, uh, I'll be back next week. And, and my bad that I got to bounce. So here's kind of like a fig, uh, like an interesting one. I think it, the, the market is different, but I think the principles apply. So the question is, um, is whether to consider, uh, Facebook or Google, it, the, it's a K to eight accelerated learning business with two brick and mortar shops and it has an online learning program. They've grown by referrals so far. Do you start with high intent on Google to, or, and compete with national businesses or go Facebook to start? Man, that is so tough. <clears throat> All right. So I, I'm going to just flat out admit that I don't have experience with like brick and mortar businesses. So I really don't know the answer to this one. Actually, <clears throat> my, my whole life has been like, I've never done localized marketing. It's really hard. Like I never had to do local SEO before. I never had to do local like Google ads to try and get people to come to my store. Um, I, I can't imagine it's easy and I don't really have an answer like Joshua would probably be a great one to, to fill in on that. He, he knows more about this than I do. Uh, so maybe Chris, I'll pause, pass to you and like let Josh take it over. So what I would do is I would win on Google organic. Um, I would not pay for ads there. There's only probably three daycares in that, in that area. And so I'd win on those terms. I would have the Google, my business listing. I would have great reviews. I would win on Yelp and, or whatever review sites are used for that segment. And then I would pick a 15 mile radius on Facebook and Instagram ads, um, around my store. I would target people that have kids that are a certain age. You can do that. I might pick one other, I might go after just moms or just dads and put two different types of creative across those things. And I might, try to have the conversion point be that they follow the page um, in the ad with the hopes of building a local community and put out content organic over time. Um, you don't have in, in a local, it's nice because you can, you can almost use ads to drive people into an organic flow. Um, you can do that in, in general, but I love the idea that you pretty much know who can buy and who can't. Um, based on how, on the proximity they have from your, uh, your shop. Um, so that's how I would do it. Love that. All right, guys. Thanks. Uh, and I'll, I'll see you next time. Everybody have a great evening. Good to see you, man. We'll see Take you next care. time. All right. Bye. I'm here, Chris. Can you hear me? What's up? What's up? Not much. How are you? Good. Welcome to the, uh, to be a guest on Demand Gen Live. It's so a pleasure. Thank you. Questions coming through. Feel free to drop questions in. A lot of comments here. Okay, so Trent, what's up? I could spend forever on this question. Why don't you go ahead and ask it? Yeah, so content distribution, paid and organic. I know like I, I blow up your comments on this all the time. And I know like a lot of people view content distribution. We were just talking about it, like personal profile versus company profile. Um, I think six months ago, I probably asked you your thoughts on building up email lists for content distribution. You're kind of like, maybe, depends. Um, so I know like from uh, like a content promotion standpoint, like absolutely paid acquisition is the way to go. But outside of like those methods, 
what else are you doing for distribution um, for yourself, for clients, that sort of thing? Yeah. So the, the way that I approach um, marketing is very different in whether you're marketing a service or a product. Um, the reason being is that I think that there's a much higher level of trust needed when selling a uh, professional service as opposed to a product. And therefore I spend much more of my time selling my service organic as opposed to paid. I just don't see, I don't see running Facebook ads for this to, to work in the level that I want it to. And so we'll focus on product um, for the sake of this conversation that I'm happy to answer any follow-ups about what we're doing. Um, so from a, from a product standpoint, um, I paid distribution of content depending on the channel is the number one way. The reason being is that it guarantees delivery even when you don't have an audience. And so that's the big one. So like, for instance, like four years ago, um, we were, I was selling a, a medical device into ER emergency rooms and we would run paid to these different types of segments to deliver content. And then there's a feature in Facebook where if someone likes your content, you can then invite them to like your page. And just through paid, I was able to amass 20,000 followers inside of my audience. And then the organic reach disappeared on Facebook. So it didn't really matter. Um, but that's, that's one place. Um, I recently for clients have been using a, uh, a webinar sign up registration paid as a way into email and then future, um, future content. I really like email. Like a lot of people say it's dead. Like we, if you send out good content, and get like, we send out good content to maybe an audience of 50,000 people every, every week. Um, and we, I can spend some time on that strategy and we get five or 10 demo requests. Every time we send it, we send someone to a long form video, they watch three minutes of the video and then click, get a demo and sign up. Works really good as opposed to, and we've done the test. I think I talked about this last week. We've done the test where we send one email that says, get a demo. Another one that says, give them the content. You get more demo requests when you give them the content instead of the demo. Um, but I'm really high on, uh, on using email for the, the base you already have. Um, for email, I've gone direct content distribution, the things that work best, case studies, long form video, click through to the video, um, product or major product or feature announcements, or any major other like PR type news. This clinical study came out. Um, we just partnered and got this integration, that type of stuff. Um, and I send on a weekly basis. So my email strategy is, is no nurtures. Nobody ever goes into a nurture stream because I'm sending emails every week. So by design, they're already in a nurture. Um, and the other piece of email that's working really well for us is what I call behavioral triggered email. And so if somebody has cookies, which are going to eventually go away, but if, if for instance, HubSpot's dropped cookies because they clicked on an email or submitted a form and then they go to a demo form or another high intent page and they don't convert, then four days later, whatever amount of time we decide to set somewhere between three and seven days, we'll send an automated email at a certain time that it's almost like abandoned cart for B2B. So trying to get them to convert that demo and we see about a 10% conversion rate or recovery rate or whatever you want to call it on that email send. Um, and then from there, I think it just depends on your content mix. And so like right now we're heavy on video. And so when it's long form video, I'm using LinkedIn for short form content. Um, and then uh, post the video onto my website and then use 
YouTube as a repository search engine. So I treat all of our YouTube videos as if I'm trying to rank in Google. And so heavy SEO inside of the, of the videos. So title optimization, all the descriptions are heavy tags, all those different types, all the metadata that, that they ask for. I try and fill that in for SEO perspective. Um, so for video, that's the way that I've, uh, I've been using it. And then when you look at all of the channels, there's basically like two kind of core things that I look at. The first one is, is my audience there? And a lot of people will pretend that their audience isn't there when they are. I've gotten comments on my, um, on my post before saying like, doctors don't use Facebook. Why are you talking about advertising to them? And I'm like, I've been doing it for four years. They're there. Like I, I build the audience as I find the job titles. There's 50,000 of them. They're all there. Um, so first it's find out where your audience is. And the second one is you need to make a really hard look at whether or not the organic reach is good enough to even pursue it. And so like in 2016, um, I recognized that, you know, we had 20,000 followers and we would post on Facebook and we would get six likes. The reason being is that there was no reach they were showing the, the algorithm changed. They were showing content, uh, not our content. They were showing the doctor that I was trying to reach their family's content and their friends. And so we weren't able to, so that like a lot of people I watch still post organic Facebook and get six, somewhere between six and 50 views for their 10,000 followers. And it's just a waste of time. Um, so the, the next thing is trying to recognize what platform is there an upside and right now? Like if you assess it, I would say that LinkedIn is the upside for B2B and, and TikTok clearly is the upside for B2C. Instagram is on the way down. Um, before I did this, I, I posted content on, on Instagram every day. Um, and because the reach wasn't there, the organic reach wasn't there, uh, I wasn't able to, to grow it. The content was different as well. Um, and then kind of like had an opening where, however, this is an important one for people is that because I got into a rhythm on Instagram of posting content every day. And then eventually I realized that LinkedIn was better, but I was already in the rhythm of posting content every day that I was able to go and use that on LinkedIn. And so, um, sometimes like you'll try a platform and it won't work, but what you learn on the platform then propels you to be successful on the next thing. Um, and so happy to answer a follow-up. So I, this is my, probably my favorite topic yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I know a ton of people are asking about like service uh, based businesses too, and, and I'll yeah. have follow up there. So before we get to that point, um, even on like the paid side, when you're creating audiences, be it in, in Facebook or Google, um, you mentioned some of like the mechanics of some of the campaigns you're running, whether it's um, long form video and they're watching three minutes of it, but the actual like creation of the audiences, are you, creating like look like audiences based on, um, existing customers within in HubSpot, let's say, are you, um, looking at like the sales teams, like engaged buyers that, you know, maybe have had some sort of conversation and, and it's tracked somewhere in the CRM. Um, like what about the mechanics of the actual audience creation? And, um, do you segment it based on like how, how deep they might be into the funnel or into the sales process? And, Anything around that? I, my, my approach on this is different than a lot of people, but here's how I do it is that most of the content I put out, it doesn't matter whether they've never heard of my company before, or they're an evangelist of the customer. It works across the entire journey because it's valuable. And so 
that that is one like core component. Yes, we do get into case studies where, you know, it's kind of promotional. We do get into feature releases that are talking about the good things about our products. So like there are some, but still the evangelist customer or the stranger might find it interesting. And so I go, the communication strategy that I have is I'm going for everyone. Like I'm trying to win in the industry, not, not in this, like the 10 buyers that are in this deal stage. Right. And so um, when I build the audiences, I'm looking at like, who is the ICP and how do I get to them all? Um, and we do, I, I'm, a lot of people will disagree with in this, but we don't use a lot of retargeting for that reason. It's because the, I'm putting out content so frequently and to everybody. And I know how to get it where it's a, a reasonable price that I don't need to retarget the thousand people to hit my site because they're already in a campaign flow of getting some type of content already. Um, there's probably a more, I'm sure like there's science nerds out there that would tell me, you know, I'd get a 3% better win rate if I did it differently. Um, but that is the, the way that I approach it. And when I'm building the audiences, um, they're different per channel. Uh, it's also different per company. And so, but purely I like, um, I, I really like marketing for companies that have industry specific job titles. You are an emergency room nurse. It's very clear. You are a CNC machinist. It's very clear. And so I, I really like that. It gets kind of harder in the SaaS world. Like if you're selling to um, venture-backed SaaS companies that are 50 to 200 employees at, a, you know what I mean? In a certain certain place, it gets harder to, to target that level, especially on Facebook. And so we need to be more creative. Maybe use custom audiences. Maybe you start pulling data out of Salesforce or using other kind of creative targeting mechanisms on LinkedIn. Um, but in general, it is going for how do you win at the industry level or whatever, you know, however you decide to segment your, your customer base. Awesome. Thanks. You got it. Josh, you got anything on that one? Got to get you a spot here. You, uh, you hit all the major notes. I think, um, on when you made the point, don't lie to yourself about whether or not your audience is there, especially in B2B. There are so many platforms that I think it overlooks like Slack and discord have huge B2B communities built on them. And it's a great way to build relationships for targeted content distribution. Um, I think I approach it slightly different. I, I embrace the idea of mapping content to the decision journey a little bit more than you do simply because that brand building mindset that you've outlined is so important, but it's so difficult to encapsulate on across a team. Like having a bunch of people who can write or develop content at that level with that mindset is very difficult. It's much easier to translate a scalable growth strategy into uh, Legos, I guess would be a way to put it. Like this is the content for this stage of the decision journey. But ultimately, you can never neglect to be brand first because that's the moat that's going to help you win in the industries you put like carving out a category making sure that your brand is the one that's top of mind. So if somebody's like, I have no need now, but all of a sudden I'm in a crisis and I have a need, what are they going to default to? Two things, the solid Google search, which if your content strategy is on point, you're going to be there, but also what brands are in my mental catalog. And if they've had a lot of positive experiences with valuable content that wasn't promotional, your brand is there and they're probably going to go right to you. Right on. So we have gotten a million requests for the, the same content distribution answer for service-based businesses. Um, 
So the, the short answer, and then I'll go way deeper is I feel like if you just saw all the things that I was doing and copied them for your market, it would be fine. Um, I feel like I've tested a lot of different things. Um, and I feel like I know what works and it depends on, on a couple of things is where you're at in the company life cycle and how, how much you want to grow. It's it, it really comes down if you're are you trying to make 200 grand and be a consultant and live a nice life and, you know, work healthy hours, you're trying to build a 10 or $20 million business. And so, and the difference in that is, is essentially how much you, how much you invest into it. Um, number one right now is for certain LinkedIn, you must be putting content. Ideally, I would say I'm trying to get there. I talk about it a lot, still haven't gotten there, but three posts a day is the target. Three posts every day, seven days a week is the target. My team's working hard to get there. We are not there yet, but that is, there's so much reach as I put more content out. Um, the, it continues to grow. We are not, a lot of people are talking about a couple, they push back on that reason for a couple of things. One is that they feel like if they post twice, then the first post will get deprioritized or lower reach. Um, I've tested that. Do not experience that phenomenon as long as you wait um, up to four hours between posts, something like that. Um, and the uh, the second one is is that you'll you'll start to experience audience fatigue. Like people will see you so much that. Um, that they start to tune you out. And I haven't hit that clearly. I haven't hit that point either. Um, and I've, I've gone through little streaks where I post two or three times a day for a short period of time, um, and didn't experience anything like that. And what I find is that the, the engagement, as you start to feed the algorithm, the algorithm like kind of feeds you back. And so I, when I make more comments and I have more things like you start to build, I, I like to call it a snowball effect because as this ball starts rolling down the hill, it goes faster. Um, and so LinkedIn content every day, number one, figure it out. I believe that video is the way to go, um, because you're selling a service and people need to trust you and people trust you a lot more when they see you as opposed to when they read your words. Uh, it really helps to demonstrate expertise upon like, so you've been seeing some of the audio I've been putting out recently, just given like kind of, it's hard to, it's harder to shoot video right now. The audio can work too, but I really lean toward video if you feel like you can do it. Um, and then the second thing would be something like what we're doing right here. And bef before you did it live, you could honestly do it. Just talk to someone like I do that a lot too. I just set up calls with someone with 30 minutes and record it and we get content. We talk about a topic and then we can chop it up and put that out. Um, and then you can also go and put that on YouTube and on your website and different places like that. And at the beginning, maybe five people are going to watch it even still like these videos on YouTube only get like a hundred views. Um, but I don't need them to get a million views right now. I'm work. I, I understand the process and I'm working toward it. Um, and then a couple other things that I've learned on service-based businesses. I don't believe in, in trying to sell this on like on Facebook or, or Instagram ads. Um, I think that it'll also be a struggle from a customer acquisition cost perspective to sell this on LinkedIn, unless you have a super targeted ICP, a well-known brand and a very unique offer. Um, Google AdWords is a hit or miss for most companies. It's just not going to be worth the price. Like for B2B growth marketing firm, one, there's not that many search. There's not that many searches per month. The second thing is if you start to look at those terms, they end up being like 40 to $80 words. 
with big companies bidding on them. And I'd rather win somewhere else. Like even if those people do click on my ad and fill out the form, odds are they're probably not the right fit for what I do. Cause I have a very, very tight ICP. Um, and then the, the number one thing that I think, um, and I've done this a couple of times and I really wish this, um, for a lot of reasons, the coronavirus didn't thing didn't happen. Cause I really wanted to see the whole thing play out and I'll continue it afterwards is local events with other people. Um, so what I did two of them, one with Josh Braun and one with Justin Welsh, I funded the whole thing. I positioned it to them where they get a high quality video. Um, and they get to share their story with an audience and things like that, but would fly down there. Um, we would put on a, an event purely on the audience, kind of like this, but in person with more of a, a, more of a foundation framework. And then we would film the whole thing and then we would put out the content afterwards. And the true value in my view is when the other person shares the content that we created, because then you get exposed like Josh Braun, Justin Welsh, very connected in the, um, software, SaaS sales community know a lot of sales and marketing people, which then gets me a lot of exposure um, to those groups. And so, um, and I'm whenever we can do it again, like I had two planned in San Fran and Austin, Texas to do it with two other people before this whole thing, we had to cancel them. Um, but that one, if you have large like growth ambitions, it costs somewhere between six and $12,000 for that whole event to get put on. It's not a lead gen activity where you're going to have direct ROI, but if you really believe in the process and you want to, um, you want to build a big business, that's the number one thing that I'd recommend. I think a lot of the success there happens because you've got a great audience who is active and on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, if you were trying to reach dentists with a service for dentists, you might say, gosh, I don't know if LinkedIn is quite the vehicle or not, I don't know, I haven't really tried, but <laughs> I don't see a lot, I, maybe I'm just not in the stream of dentist um, uh, postings and so on, but, but by virtue of the service that you are offering, um, and it seems that the user base of LinkedIn who are active are very, um, are, are closely aligned to the kinds of things that you provide. So LinkedIn definitely is a great place and everything you've described, I think is, is, is spot on. But the point you were making about where is your audience it, that's that's key mm -hmm. to, to the success there. And you make a, make a really good point there as I like kind of unwind it, um, is that try to win online, which then empowers you offline, which is an interesting thing to think about. Um, like I would have never been able to do that event with Justin or have 40 people show up if I hadn't already gotten things built online. So that's another kind of like takeaway there. Thank you for that. Josh, what you got on that one? Any, any service wisdom to drop? First and foremost, it definitely goes back to knowing your ideal customer. Service marketing is going to be highly contingent on the type of service. For example, dentists, doctors, and lawyers have one set of urgency to the problem they solve. Plumbers have another. Marketing consultants have yet another. So understanding your audience and how often do they have the problem that you solve? How aware are they of that problem? How urgent is that problem to them? And how interested are they in solving it before it comes urgent? So are they doing a lot of research or is this a, I'm not going to deal with it until I have the problem. And then there's a couple of go-to channels that I'm going to do go to, to try to solve that problem. In which case 
you've either got narrow options because of your service, you have to kind of saturate and win there, or you get to take a much longer brand building approach as Chris is outlining advocating. So, I mean, out of the box, like a lawn care company, something that's a hyper-local service that's got a low level of urgency and interest. Like I'm not going to spend a super ton of time researching who's going to cut my grass. But if you've got a ton of beautiful pictures on Instagram and Pinterest that come up when I'm searching around, obviously I'm going to be drawn to that. I'm going to be attracted to that. And everything I care about is right there for me to learn from. What's the quality of your work and your service offering? How happy are your customers? Uh, doctors and lawyers, it's a much different approach. Uh, marketing consultants both have it the easiest and the hardest in that we have so many options, but our industry has low trust and high cost. <laughs> so Chris advocates exactly what you would need to do in these people. But doctors and lawyers, I think, need a similar approach, a high-touch, high-authority, high-trust approach, which is being out there and being ready to answer questions and creating content that's proactive because people are going to spend time researching like legal issues or medical issues long before they actually have these issues and go to a doctor about them. Mm-hmm. So it's all about your customer. What problem do you solve for them? How urgent and how much time do they invest in solving that problem? And then what are their content consumption patterns and habits? If your ideal customer is older, obviously some of these newfangled channels like Instagram and TikTok are not the way to go. So tactics are higher. Go ahead, sorry. No, sorry. I was just going to add something is that um, in whatever you're selling, you can either you can either try and win the game once someone realizes they need something like you, or you can win the game far before they realize they need you. And I much prefer to just win on brand where they decide they need a marketing consultant and they don't even think about anyone else, as opposed to being a vendor in an RFP or trying to win at 80 bucks a click on Google. Well said. Well so said. we are jumping. Evan's got a great question here. Evan, do you want to, uh, you still on? You want to ask it? Hi, I'm still here. Um, which one? I actually wrote in a couple. Like what uh, are best practices with uh, LinkedIn ads? Yeah, I love that one. Let's go there. Cool. So what are the best practices with LinkedIn ads for B2B? So... Um, right now for my company, we manage probably somewhere between a quarter and a half a million dollars a month in, in spend that we allocate to LinkedIn ads for B2B. Um, in that, I think that there are a lot of different executions that can work again, which is going to go between whether you sell a product or a service for the sake of this question, I'm going to answer it in that you're selling a product. Um, the first thing to, to understand is that LinkedIn ads are $80 CPM. Um, which means cost per 1000 impressions is means to cost you about eight cents to show the ad to each person. Um, and it can, that can go up to 160, depending on how you're targeting. And it can, you can get it down to 40 with some creative things, but in general, it's going to be around $80 CPM. And so the first thing is you got to make sure that the math works. You're selling a $19 a month, uh, SaaS product with no, um, expansion opportunity. It's going to be really tough from a CAC LTV standpoint to make that work. Um, so let's assume that you're selling a product where the, the math works. There are a couple executions on LinkedIn that I really like, and there's other ones that I've tested that I do not, and I'll break them down. A very common tactic on LinkedIn will be to some people just run ads and say, get a demo. Like I'm selling a $10,000 a month SaaS tool. And I'm going to show you a video. And I'm going to ask you to get a demo. 
I've tested this a lot, both on Facebook and LinkedIn. The results end up being the same everywhere, which is that you will collect leads for somewhere between 100, somewhere between 50 and 150, 200, depending on how good you are at it and who you're targeting. You'll get leads for that price. You'll pass them to sales and they will not close. The most recent test we ran on that was in January. We collected 25 leads at somewhere between four, somewhere between 40 and $50 each and closed zero deals on a 30 day sales cycle. So I'm confident after continuous testing that you might close one deal if you collect a thousand leads, but in general, I feel like it's a waste of time. Um, there are other executions. A lot of companies love to run um, the same type of lead gen campaigns, but for like what you would consider a traditional mid funnel offer, like an ebook or a webinar out of the two options. Um, I very much prefer the webinar route um, mainly because if you create something episodic like this, once they're in once, and if you can deliver, you can keep them in. Um, and on the ebook one, I realize we've gone through this enough, but like, I just don't think that even if people fill out the form, I don't think they actually read the ebook. And the whole point of paying for someone to see content is for someone to actually consume the content. Otherwise you might as well get zoom info and buy their email address for 99 cents. Um, and so, I prefer the webinar route. We continue to run that one. The key is that we, if we run it, we need to have the marketing ops in place where they actually get to attendance and we have a flow where they can continuously get content, ideally in an episodic format like this. Um, so that is the, the way that I use lead gen, um, for link click ads, there are two um, two core types of ads that I've seen that I like the best. The first one is a case study. Um, I love it across all channels. If you can't get to your audience in uh, on Facebook, then LinkedIn is the place to run this. Um, and um, I would go more narrow. Even if you can get to them on Facebook, go more narrow on the um, on the targeting for a case study. So either executive titles or even get, just get tighter so that you can keep the cost lower. Um, so that's one link, click ad to a case study. And I have tons of content documentation out there about how to position the case study so that it works best in the feed. And then the second one is what I've been calling them like product value prop videos. So animated somewhere between 15 and 45 second videos that explain the value prop of your product with, in, with a, with the conversion point being a click to a, to a product page that explains it in more detail. Um, and you might get some conversions off of that, but I don't measure the success of any of those executions on number of demo requests. I decide that if someone consumes that video and clicks on the ad and reads the page about my $20,000 ACV SaaS product, that was worth the 10 bucks. And I just make that that choice black and white. I've found that if you drive people to a conversion, especially on social, they're on mobile, you'll collect them. But they, I, I think in general, it's going to waste a lot of your sales team's time. And I prefer to, when I pass leads to sales for a completely different reason, but I have a very high degree of probability that they're going to close to revenue. And I feel good about that pass because over time, if you keep sending them junk, you really will have some issues with sales marketing alignment. And so um, the best conversion point that I've found for most high ACV SaaS products is a desktop conversion through either organic traffic or, or direct traffic. And so I design all of my multi-channel campaigns around someone ending up at that conversion point because I know it has the highest degree to close. That is B2B LinkedIn ads. 
<laughs> Let me just, do you mind if I dive in a bit more on that? A bit more tactical? Yeah. Do you end up selecting people to who, who fall into the, the selection set, if you will, of who you would advertise um, by their skills, by their um, various types of demographics that you're able to select based on? Do you do things by group membership anymore? Of course, groups are no longer very interesting, but people historically would have been members of groups, even though they've been deprecated within. Uh, or, or what other approaches are you using to select who is in and who is out to kind of quote Serge Gansberg in English? Yeah, it, it, uh, the, the short answer is it really depends on the targeting. We, we test skills. Um, one skill that I really like re uh, recently is if you sell a SaaS tool, if somebody has the skill of your competitor, that one's been really interesting. Um, in general, I really like job title targeting and then layer on either industry, company size, skill or interest on top of that. Um, those are kind of like the main ones that I go to. I've definitely used skills of ancillary products that kind of like if you have toothpaste, you need a toothbrush, right? So and kind of like, um, I'm forgetting the marketing term for the word, but linked products mm -hmm. um, and also competitive products, of course, as well. Right on. Josh? That was a good, that was a good question. Thank you. It's a very good question. I would have to say you hit all the best practices. I would be contrarian on say the best practice for LinkedIn ads is to not use them. There's so much more value on that platform for organic mm. that like cost to benefit, as you've noted, the CPM is high, the return rate is low. Uh, if your deal cycle is long, the intent is off. So it's like, go to them if you absolutely have to, but it should not be your first move on the LinkedIn platform. You should really consider that to be an organic channel and invest in it in that way. And so, ahead, I, to I totally agree with you. The irony is, of course, I get more pickup from my posts than my company. LinkedIn seems to be working well as far as... Um, individuals who are the faces of their business, if you will. Um, and because it's, it, it, it seemed, that seems to be taking off. But if I was to be represent, if my company was to be putting out the same content, seemingly I'm not getting the same pickup. Um, and I don't know, perhaps I'm just not doing it so well with the company as I'm doing it myself. And I don't think that I'm doing it all that brilliantly myself, but I, maybe others have got some comments on this and I'll just kind of, I'll mute myself and just see what other people say. I believe it's a pattern of content consumption. It's behaviors of the platform. The users are there to interact with other users professionally. Some brands are have enough of a personality of their own, but it's rare. As you've noted, it's mostly individuals interacting with individuals. Yeah. I mean, credit where credit is due. Chris, you do a brilliant job of being the face of your business, representing ideas, um, the, I think the comments you made about video and seeing and, 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 and trust um, in the provider of the service, if you're trying to market a service, I think is spot on and you, and you exemplify that with what you do and the, and the content you create. If, and, and I think if I wanted to try and offer a service to um, programmers to help build out their applications, I'd, I would want to have someone who's as credible representing my service as you do. It's a different kind of job, though. Sometimes I don't have a good personality who can deliver that content, who is as confident um, and well-spoken um, in delivering that evangelical, evangelical kind of approach. So 
again, I'm going to try and mute myself. I, I don't want to be taking up too much airtime. Hey, Chris, I have something to contribute on this that uh, may be interesting. So I'm in healthcare, um, which I know is, is a niche focus, but something that we've done that has worked quite well recently with medical device companies is, I think you're right, David, there tends to be a key spokesperson. Rarely is it ever somebody in the C-suite, at least in the healthcare side of the house. Um, but it's typically somebody, VP or regional, you know, somebody in product marketing. We've had really good success. While it seems a little bit duplicative and redundant, uh, we've developed content, all forms of content. We have then given, we've given that to the company and we basically do timed releases daily. So, what we found is that there is a local virtual amplification. So what I mean by that is, is that uh, from a company page, which I agree is rarely listened to or, or engaged with key leaders, and then it's disseminated through the sales ranks. I think, you know, Chris, one of the things that Chris said, which was really interesting was that uh, when you double down on brand awareness, there is subconscious consideration of products, which then can lead to these micro events or virtual. So if you can imagine a large sales force of, let's say 150, they're all putting out the same message at, on the same day. And they're tends to be a little bit of synergy. And then what we've learned is that there were many people that kind of had hidden talents. They just didn't know they had a voice, but through this approved content, they now have a micro voice, which can be amplified. And that technique's worked out quite well. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, um, I love the, the organic approach on LinkedIn. Um, I have since 2015 done it this way, which I think a lot of companies need to use ads for one of two reasons. One is that um, they just have a lot of budget and they want to grow. Um, the second one that I think is more interesting is that they don't know how to produce content that works organically. Um, and so what I've done is I use, I use paid to accelerate the process to organic if that makes sense. And so if, when you're starting at zero, like using paid to get to 5,000 followers is probably a good idea. And then from at some point you get to a place where you might not need to use the, the paid anymore. But in general, when you're looking at whether to decide paid or organic, in my view, it's just whether or not it's worth whatever the cost is. Is someone seeing your video and watching the whole thing worth three cents? And then you can make that decision um, because if you go organic, it's going to take longer. And you not like I, I think about it as guaranteed delivery of content. So if I'm trying to hit an entire market, I have two ways to do it. I can build it piece by piece, which I think you should be doing anyway. But you can also say, OK, in the next 24 hours, I'm going to be able to hit 90 percent of this of the market with this piece of content. And so uh, I think that there are, there's places for both. Um, I agree that there's a lot of kind of like a decision tree that needs to be made on which one you use and when, um, Josh is saying paid is like a drug companies get addicted to it. Um, I, I agree. Um, but I, I also, I also know that, um, when we were running, when we were running paid Facebook in, in 2015 and the same if LinkedIn ever gets their CPMs down, the same thing will happen on LinkedIn. 
is that we were the only thing that this, the entire um, market that we were going after saw. None of our other competitors or ancillary products or anything. We like the idea as you watch Google Analytics with hundreds of people on your website at all times consuming your message for like hundreds of dollars a day. You realize that if you do it well enough in a communication strategy, you can change the perception of how an entire market either looks at you, looks at your category of product. Like we were selling a disruptive medical device that was displacing a product that had been there for 40 years. A lot of you probably have some type of disruptive product that's competing against either a legacy a legacy or giant gorilla entity where you have a better product, but you can't seem to get your way in. Um, and it all comes down to, in my view, communication. Well said. The idea of paid, first and foremost, sometimes it's just the option because of it being stage appropriate to the company, or I've seen the opposite problem, which is just, hey, we have money, let's throw it at something. Paid makes sense, let's do it. Which is why I like to emphasize the, the contrarian position for certain platforms, because as you've noted, sometimes organic isn't ready, but paid can be a quick fix that prevents the team from ever growing beyond that quick fix. Um, another way to look at it is behavioral economics. Sometimes paid done well needs a lot of the same support that organic does. So on that journey to doing paid well, they're going to discover that the cost benefit stops to stops making sense, the shift. And so, as you said, it can be a shortcut to getting towards organic, but also the opposite side, that brand mentality where saturation is a brand building exercise, being seen everywhere or being the only thing seen to keep your competition from taking those slots is also an undervalued and underappreciated strategy, especially if you're trying to be a champion or even a challenger to an existing champion brand. Um, I don't know how the, the breakdown of the audience, how many people get to experience that because smaller companies don't think in that way, but they need to. And larger companies lose sight of that and often forget that they need to think like that. You're always a challenger, even when you're a champion. I got, I got two quick questions that came in. The first one was uh, whether or not I'm going to bring the party to Twitter. Um, and so the, the short answer is probably not. Um, I, watch, I, I watch Twitter, but in, in general, the way that I look at this in different platforms is basically you have to, at, at some point, especially at the place where I'm at, you got to make choices. And until... I have really like, I know that there's a better opportunity right now for me on LinkedIn than Twitter. And until I can say I've done all that I can do on LinkedIn, I'm not going to leave there. I spend very little time on Instagram anymore. I spend very little time on Twitter. I do very little browsing or even posting on YouTube, except for using these videos as a repository. I am pot committed. And so you like, you got to find, and I did the same thing on Facebook when I worked for a company in 2015 it was the best place. The audience was there. The price was right and paid. It could also work organic. And so like, I, I highly recommend finding your one place and you should, whether it's the dynamics of the platform and what content's working, like there are people that are having a lot of success on, on TikTok that didn't have any success on Instagram because the way the content's presented is different. Like my content works a lot better on LinkedIn than it did on Instagram because the people on LinkedIn are looking for business content. And so, 
Um, once you find that place, I would really, really go like all in, like for most of us, it's going to be, um, be LinkedIn, but that the, the mindset of at one point, at some point, LinkedIn's not going to be as, as popular. The organic reach is going to go down. People are going to find other places. I imagine there's going to be sub, um, like sub LinkedIn's almost like a different platform for sales, a different platform for demand gen, a different platform for programmers. I think that it will start to spread out. Um, once LinkedIn starts to get like, uh, too flooded with, with content. Um, and so whenever, and I, I, I have a post screenshot of that. I, I posted, it was actually, I posted on Instagram. I'd never, felt this feeling except for twice in my life where I recognized that there was a huge opportunity on a social platform. The first one was on Facebook. It was probably like August of last year on LinkedIn. And from the second that I just made that decision, it's been 100% of my effort and energy that I can on that platform until the results degrade. So short answer, um, I might like take some of my snippets from LinkedIn and move them over to Twitter, but will not be spending very much energy there. The second short question um, is what is the percentage of your activity that is programmatic versus one-off? Um, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that question. Um, when, when we do it for brands, we actually use very little automation. Um, the ads are, the ads are put together we run the campaign and then when the campaign hits a place where you're hitting saturation, we refresh the campaign with either new creative, new content, new audience, or all three. Um, and there's some backend automation that we use, but it's mainly for data analytics and tracking. Um, so that's how, that's how we use it. I I've been a, um, a buyer of a lot of SaaS tools before I've gone through the exact same process of when it's automated and when it's not. And, um, I just like to, uh, I like to help buyers buy in the way that I like to buy. Um, and so I try and design my process around how, how it would be the best experience for them. Josh, we got, uh, I think you're tagging me here. We have uh, a great insight. It's not just, is my audience here? It's, can I succeed here based on my current resources? You want to break that down a little bit further? Sure, you were mentioning how certain types of content play well on different channels and how you weren't going to move to Twitter until you were 100% you nailed things on LinkedIn because the value of the opportunity was right. Suggest that it's not just is the platform right, but also is the value of the platform right for your team because obviously it's going to work for one team is not necessarily going to work for another due to skill gaps. And it sounds like you honed in on that precisely, like based on what no one good at the thing I've been able to come up. With, this is where that content needs to live and go because that's where it's going to succeed. <laughs> so it was worth highlighting because it's, it's another mindset that's overlooked. It's like, yeah, we can do all these things, but which one shouldn't we do? And why shouldn't we do them? Resource allocation. Please. Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. That was, yeah, I interrupted you. Sorry. The, Resource allocation is often overlooked in favor of trying to fill a quota, but you'll succeed more by making sure that you're allocating resources properly. You'll hit your quota correctly because you'll maintain quality and scalability 
rather than burning it and trying to deconstruct didn't work later. And the, the, the challenge that I see a lot of, um, a lot of companies and, and people face for that matter is that they try and do six platforms and they do them all poorly to mediocre instead of just doing one good. Exactly. And so um, that that's another reason, especially as you start to really, if you start to really be a practitioner and understand the dynamics of the platform, like really get in there, um, some really special stuff can happen. Um, so yeah. And then let's see if we got here. It looks like the stream is coming to a close. I'm just seeing a couple of the comments come in here. Um, and so I think here's where I want to, I want to end is when I, uh, it's, it's really funny for, um, for me to like say this, but it was less than 12 months ago where I was, uh, browsing LinkedIn and at some point said to myself, that there's a ton of marketing consultants out there. They must be smarter than me. Nobody, nobody must care what I think about. I really did. I remember it vividly, like thinking about that when I was writing my post 12 months ago. Um, and so the point of me saying that is like, we all have something special to share. We all have knowledge that only you have, uh, you all, we all see the world a different way. And so maybe this, uh, maybe this like kind of close, so this program is the boost that you need to go and, and make that jump and, and post a couple times. And you're not gonna, um, probably not going to get a million likes the first time. Um, and that's okay because the, the thing, uh, eventually what I realized is that, is that uh, there's a book that Seth Godin, Godin wrote that I really, really like. It was super inspired. I read it around the time that I was telling myself that, um, which is basically, um, that I'm making this like art for people and whether how they respond is just feedback. It's not that I'm bad. It's that whatever I produced wasn't right. Um, and so I, I changed my mindset to knowing that when people tell me it's not good, it means that I need to change the color or do something a little bit different. Um, which just gave me like a different frame of mind about thinking about when I post and got three likes, why it was okay because three people liked it and that was awesome. And I, I actually got messages from people via text that didn't like it that said, Hey, I saw you're doing this. That's really cool. I also got people that sent me text messages say, you should stop posting on LinkedIn. It's fucking dumb. And I think that, um, at some point I'll go back to that text message maybe in a couple of years and I'll, I'll forward it back to them and see what they think. Um, but anyway, um, I'm super grateful that all of you join us. I, I love like, even though we don't like really get to talk, I feel like I know you all quite well. Um, and really happy that we can all spend this time together during this, this tough time. Uh, I look forward to it every week. I love seeing you all. Um, and thank you for joining. Look forward to seeing you next week, hopefully.